1: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
2: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
3: A very good afternoon to you and welcome to the late lunch. Orla in for Jerry for the rest of this week. Lots to come on the programme. Uh, Shortly, we're going to be hearing from the dad of the child who was hit by a scrambler bike in Betty's town and we'll be hearing about a public meeting that's been called a policing, a joint policing committee meeting to discuss the concerns around the use of scramblers and quads and other of those kind of electronic devices in um, housing estates and public areas and the dangers involved in those. We're going to be hearing about good news regarding our mobile phones. That's going to be very interesting. Our regular tech correspondent, Declan, will be in with this later, hopefully. And also we're going to hear about how snails can make us ladies look prettier. Very curious about that one. But first, you might be able to give a help, a little bit of help to a young man who's found himself in a bit of a pickle in Dundalk. So we had a contact from, I'm not sure it's the mom or the dad, but the young man was working in the Dundalk area on Monday last in the Barrack Street Great Haven apartments, and he left from there to go to the M1 Dublin roundabout, and he lost some electrical technician books and documents, and they are really important to this young man. They're to do with his certification in his qualification as an electrical technician. So if anybody saw those documents or books anywhere between the Great Haven apartments on Barrack Street in Dundalk, heading up towards the M1 Dublin roundabout, I'm not sure if they fell out of his bag or came off a bike or whatever but he lost them and they're really important to them and if anything we can do at all to help a young person get qualified and focused on their work of course we can do that so please do text us in and message us if anybody spotted those and the number as always is 086 1800 658 that's our whatsapp and text message and you can always call us on 041 so 983 i should know that one So moving on to Betty's Town, and you might have read or heard about this recently. And in fact, last week we were talking to uh, about the whole dangers of quads. And we heard from John Dillon, the of the IFA, the former president of the IFA, who nearly lost his foot when a quad overturned on him. So these machines are serious pieces of a kit and equipment and they cause problems. And there's a trend nowadays, as we know, for scrambler bikes to be used by young people. And there was an incident in Betty's town when a young boy was hit by a scrambler bike in his own front driveway, witnessed by his parents. Everybody there, the neighbours and friends, people saw it. But the young lad on the scrambler bike obviously lost control and the the incident happened. And we're joined now by the dad, Keith, from Betty's town. You're very welcome, Keith.
4: Hey! Thanks very much.
3: First of all, how is young Frankie? How's he doing?
4: He's good. Yeah, he's good. He's sort of he's missing his first eight weeks of school, so um, we're not entirely sure when he's going to get the cast off. He can't put any pressure on his foot, so he's sort of at home. You know that uh, those first few weeks in school, like you know, are, are quite important time to sort of bond with your new teacher and whatever else. Of now, course, she's been amazing. Like she's been sending stuff home, and she gave him a call and she had all the kids do cards for him and send them home and stuff like that, so... But other than that, like, his health is is good, his... He he has a little bit of trauma left over from it, like, you know, he's been having a few nightmares and stuff like that, you know he, he he's still a bit like when he hears a car outside or something like that he sort of gets a bit oh is that one of them is that the scramblers like you know he calls them yeah. scramblers you know
3: now so, obviously the guard that you're investigating and the investigation is ongoing so we can't obviously yeah. go into too much detail but you did or you do have a, a video on your on your front door you have a, a nest uh, one of those uh, camcorder type devices and you shared the yeah. footage with us and as far as i could see a lovely sunny evening, people out and about, parents, kids, people playing and then the scrambler bike literally flies into your child. It must have been an awful shock for you.
4: Yeah, this is the thing. So, like, I mean, in the lead up to that moment, like, I'd actually um, called and and reported it numerous times to, to to the guards, just sort of saying, like, this has become a problem only of recent and, like, they're going around the estate and I had a couple of videos of, of doing wheelies and stuff and I'm like, you know a kid is gonna be hit like you know that's it's gonna happen like you know um it's just the irony of that is uh obviously that it was my my child but it's it's just like one of the things like whatever about in fields whatever they you know having an interest in the hobby or whatever it may be like we have a new estate in bettystown it is teeming with kids like there are literally kids everywhere running around scooters bikes everything um, it's just not the place to be going around on a scrambler. And, and,
3: and you're saying you, you've had, you and other residents have had conversations about this in terms of trying to control how these scramblers are used in public places.
4: Essentially, like, I mean, I mean, we have a WhatsApp group for the, for the neighbourhood. Now, I mean, one of the positives that maybe is going to come out of this is that we may have, like, Neighbourhood Watch and, you know, something a bit more serious, the Residents Association is... In the process of being formed, also, so it's like, you know, it's 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 going to have positives. It's just a shame that we needed to, you know, obviously go through this to get there. And um, we, we had had conversations previously about, you know, what are they doing? Like, why are they going around in here? Does anyone's parents? Does anyone's parents on the, the group know who they are? What house they're coming from? Surely somebody knows something. And.
3: The other thing I think that strikes, strikes me about it is, well, firstly, two things. Firstly, looking at the, the footage that you shared with us, um, the kids on the scramblers don't look much older than the smaller kids out playing. They seem to be awfully young um, and yeah. the, there's no helmets. You know, the, the, the kid is wearing just a hoodie or whatever. There's no helmets. Um, and, and as you say, who's buying these scramblers for the kids? Like they're, they're quite expensive, aren't they? Yeah
4: exactly so that's the thing like i mean i I think legislation currently says that like it it actually can prosecute um you know parents for supplying you know minors with these with these bikes and stuff like that i'm not sure like a lot of people actually understand around the the legislation and that you know like if you buy one of these bikes for your child you are actually liable for prosecution you know um under the legislation so like i mean it's just a reminder to parents, like, before, you know, you go out and buy a spambler for, for a kid, like, you know what I mean? First of all, like, they don't have any license or experience essentially supplying them with a weapon. And, you know, going out there on the road and just, just drive around in the grass and whatever else. And, like, I mean, we've had quads in our state as well. I know, like, I mean having seen the footage you could probably say like you know if it was a course of lucky it wasn't a quad you know because and
3: because the bike landed right on top of your son and then the, the, yeah. the driver of the, the scrambler ran off and, and left yeah. your son sort of stuck under the under the um under the bike I, I, you're absolutely right but the point is You know, maybe a parent buys one of these for their child or gets it it for a birthday or Christmas or something. And maybe the parent sits down the child and says, you must use a helmet. You must use it with respect. But it's the other kids standing around who then jump on to have a go. I mean, the driver of this scrambler might not have even been the owner of it.
4: Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And how do
3: we control that extended sort of gang in the sense that they might be from a different estate? They might be... You know, they just might be some random child who who, who ambled up and said, "Can I have a go?" You know, this is.
4: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you just—I uh, mean—the whole thing—it's—it's it's like, it's—it's it's just right for you know some sort of accident to happen. And I mean, I could foresee this like for days leading up to it, and and then it just—you know—it did actually did actually come true. That's just a shame. Like, and, as I said, like from Frankie's perspective, like my son had a fear of these previous to it. Like, it, when they were around, he would be like, oh, the scrambler's around. Because obviously there's a lot of noise associated with them and stuff like that. And then he had a fear he would run in usually. But the only reason he was out that day was because I was out there too. So he sort of felt a bit more comfortable. So my dad's out there, you know. I was across the road. And, like, his fear became reality then. So it's like, how can I ever tell him don't be afraid of anything again? Like, you know what I mean? Because now... Like, how can I say, go on out and play in your front garden. You'll be, you'll be safe out there, like, you
3: know. Or indeed, go out and play on the road, which we all did as children. We kicked ball on the road. We played exactly. all kinds of games out there. It was a safe space. But obviously, yeah. um, that is changing. Tell me about the public meeting and who is this open to and and how is this being organised?
4: So, like, the last, actually, the last uh, day for submitting questions for that is today. Um, but i've actually raised the issue of like scramblers and air area as a as a whole um, and have had obviously great you know um, people people coming back and saying you know that's a great idea we should we should raise it in some sort of way and the joint um community police and committee have actually been in touch with me as well so it will be a question that is raised at the at the thing it's on in the village hotel on 21st of um, of september at 7 p.m. so um essentially like you know, raise raise your, your uh, question. I mean, there's a, there, I know there's going to be other topics as well discussed, so um, this will be one of them. Um, I'm not entirely sure of the format because I've never actually attended
3: one before. OK, um, but just to confirm it, it's yeah. a joint policing committee public meeting. It's in the Village Hotel in Betty's Town at 7 o'clock on thursday evening september the 21st and yeah. uh, anybody can come along and raise any concerns you have about any sort of public policing issues but you you now have this as an agenda item hopefully the use of scramblers and quads in in public places and yeah. uh, you and other concerned parents can come along and make your 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 feelings known absolutely yeah all right. Well, listen, I hope Frankie recovers very, very well and delighted to hear his teacher is sending out the work and keeping him involved. And hopefully he'll be, he'll be back on his feet. And uh, I think he suffered a few broken bones in his foot. But hopefully he's, he's on the mend and he will be back out playing uh, uh, soon. Keith, thank you very much for joining us yeah, and best so. of luck. Back yeah, after this. You're on the late lunch. There is nothing worse, as we all know, than being caught out on a night out with a flat phone battery. And you ask the restaurant or the pub, can they charge it for you so you can catch up with your friends or call the taxi? And they can't because all the chargers are different and they have this one and they have that one, but they don't have your particular one. Well, according to a new EU consumer law, all smartphones are going to have the same charging cable from now on. It's a USB-C charging cable. And here to tell us all about it is our regular tech expert, Declan Bailey. You're very welcome, Declan.
1: Hiya, How, How are you?
3: I'm good, thank you. So this is great news, isn't it? I mean, it's going to take time for them all to switch over to this, but eventually.
1: Yes, I suppose it's like anything. Everybody in the house now has an iPhone lightning cable. So it is down to now you have to buy your USB-C. So it's that small transition, but all other Apple products have the USB-C, the iPad and the Mac. So, yeah, it's great.
3: And will other gadgets and elect- electronics use this new type of cable as well?
1: There's a lot of them using at the moment, but over the next couple of years, that's going to be the standard. Yeah, thank God. It's like, do you remember in the day uh, when phones first came out first and somebody had a Nokia phone? Yes. And the Nokia had one charger and it did all the Nokia. So no matter what, where you went, what house you went to, everybody had a Nokia charger. So it's going to get like that with USB-C
3: but unfortunately we've all to take the pain of actually getting this new charger in the first instance or upgrading our phones so that we have this yes, new charger exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly it's getting
1: there it's getting there yes yeah yeah
3: and obviously um this is uh, so many of us are on iPhones and and apple kind of leads this space very much and they've launched now a couple of new models i think it's the we're up to the 15 now are we
1: the 15 is correct they have two different variants the 15 the 15 and the 15 pro So both of them will get the USB-C, so this is the first time for that port to be on the iPhone. So the difference with the 15 now from the previous 14, it has what they call the dynamic island. It's this little strip that will flash or populate when something happens on your phone at the top of your phone. It was introduced last year on the Pro model, but now the basic 15 is getting it. So you'll have that the other big jump would be the camera. And before you move on to the
3: camera, what is that, the island? Explain it to me now because I don't understand it so maybe other people don't either.
1: So essentially, when a notification came into you before, it would end up in the middle of the phone or somewhere along the phone. But now there is an island at the top of it. So at the very top where you would see the FaceTime camera, there is a, let's say, a two to three mil little notification will come up there but it's an active notification. So if you were playing music on your phone and you were doing something else, that dynamic island can stay there. You can change tracks through it so you don't have to go back into the application. So it's just Uh, a quicker way of getting at something.
3: So it just gives you more clarity over what's going on in the background in your phone or indeed if messages or notifications come in. Very interesting, very interesting. And tell me about the new camera. What's it going to do that the older phones didn't do?
1: so the old camera was a 12 megapixel it's now gone to a 48 megapixel camera and it has a two-time telephoto lens so portraits would be fantastic and a close-up shots but the big jump is 12 to 48 megapixel so it's going to be a much better camera in the phone everybody's been waiting for that for a good few years the 12 has been the standard for the last six seven years So there's a big jump there in the basic iPhone.
3: It's really amazing the quality of photos you can get nowadays on an iPhone, isn't it? Or indeed, any smartphone compared to a number of years back. Sometimes if you're scrolling back and you find old photographs and you say, my goodness, the quality is so different, isn't it? The
1: quality is, yeah, it is incredible. And it is, like, at the end of the day with a camera, you know yourself, it's the, pho- it's the actual device that you have on you at the time when you want to take a photo. That's why cameras have become so popular. No one carries around those Insta cameras anymore or the, the DSLRs. They're just too heavy and big. So the camera is really what people are looking for to get better and better on a phone. Because at the end of the day, a phone is a phone is a phone. Calls, emails, texts. So you want something extra, that being the camera. So Apple are going to have now that better camera.
3: It's extraordinary, really, what we carry around in our pockets now, isn't it? In, in in a smartphone, when you think of the actual capacity of it, the things it does, it's it's just amazing how this whole thing has moved along. You must have seen huge changes over the years that you're working in, in, in the tech space. You know,
1: even just take it back to, let's say, um, 2010. And that's only 13 years ago. And you know how quickly the years fly by. But I was just saying to somebody only the other day, that I pulled up the petrol station, I filled the car, I walked in, and I paid with my phone. If you'd walk into a petrol station 13 years ago and produced your phone, you know, it's just, it's just incredible. And to think where it is actually going to go. So in 13 years' time, for that small period of time, what you will be actually able to do on a handset will just be phenomenal.
3: Well, obviously it's going to move into the artificial intelligence space as well. Are you getting queries about that? Do people ask you to help them understand that yet or is it still a bit early?
1: It is still a bit early. I suppose, uh, well, especially for Apple now, they are launching the Vision Pro next year, which will be the ultimate in that space. This is going to link with all their devices, but it's going to bring what people think that can do. So you pop a headset on, or either VR or AR, what people think they're going to get out of it, this device is going to bring it to a whole different level and will make it more understandable because, like anything, VR and AR covers a multitude. And the big thing at the moment with AI is ChatGPT, all the different things that you can go onto a computer now and generate images from text. All that stuff will be second nature in 12 months' time and integrated to most devices.
3: You know, it's it's a brave new world. It really is. But like we have to keep up with this. It's just it's happening whether we like it or not, isn't it? And we all just have to embrace the change and try and do the best we can to learn about it.
1: And it's almost like every six months there's something new. And like you say, if you don't keep up with it, you're left behind in such a short period of time. Things have changed. No, you can't do that anymore. You do it this way. And if you don't keep up, you're just lost.
3: All right, Declan Bailey, thank you as always for your tech update with us here on The Late Lunch. We'll take a break. A six-year-old girl with severe additional needs started school this term against all the odds thanks to a determined mother who won't be dropping her daughter at the school gates. She'll be at her daughter's side in the classroom every single day. We are very welcome to the programme, Tracy Carroll. Hi, how are you? I'm well. Tracy, your lovely daughter, Willow, was pushed into the schoolyard by her very proud brother, Noah, and it was a great day for all the family. Tell us why.
5: Yeah, it was very exciting. Um, so Noah and Willow are now in school together, um, which is a mainstream school, uh, St. Joseph's National School in Town. Um, And Willow had very, very complex needs. So um, it's not the norm for her to be able to go to a mainstream school. But the school were fantastic. When I approached the principal in 2019 and asked could Willow go to the school, he said he'd love to facilitate her, but they don't have um the facilities to care for a child like willow in school so um he said but if we can make it work we'll definitely do it so january passed um we looked school so everything was set up in place and there's another little girl abby in there with with willow um, and the two of them are really enjoying being part of an inclusive education um and for the kids in the mainstream school as well it's been absolutely fantastic um, tell me, Tracy. About
3: tell me about Willow's particular conditions, just so we understand it.
5: So Willow would have um, level five cerebral palsy, um, so it would be the highest um, care needs. So every every aspect of Willow's life is is cared for. Um, she's um, in a wheelchair. She's quadspastic um, cerebral palsy, so she has no use of her limbs um, independently. Um, and she's peg fed and she's ep- epilepsy and she's unbearable so she'd have um, global delay intellectual disability as well so for Willow to live she needs to be cared for 24-7 um, and with the nature of her disabilities as well she'd be prone to illness Um, and seizures so she needs nursing care uh, 24-7 as well And yet you were
3: determined she was going to school with every other child
5: Absolutely yeah and I mean even today you know to to see her progression in such a short time it's amazing Um, she feeds off the other kids she gets to share um, school time with with the children and senior infants which would be her age group they come into their classroom and she would go across to theirs and she has come on so much you know, it's it actually, it's more than I ever expected and more than I hoped for, but it, it's fantastic. And that's the so,
3: stimulation yeah. of just watching and interacting with the other kids and just being part of yeah. everything.
5: You can hear her in the background there. She's having her say, I mean, you say to Willow now, you're going to school and she is, cannot get out that door quick enough. And if you don't get out quick enough, she lets you know, you she know, I'm ready up. to go. Loves yeah. it, absolutely loves yeah. it. And even though I'm there with her every day, she doesn't want to know me. You know, I'm there to look after her needs. um, But, you know, if I come near her, she's kind of, you know, oh, God, am I going to have to go home now? So she pretends I'm not there. Just loves us really, really. And is thriving. You know, she's exceeding all expectations. Um, And it's it's just been absolutely fantastic and it's worth everything that I have to do.
3: (laughs) Now, tell me, um, in terms of a special needs assistant, it would have to be a highly, highly qualified one. Is it full nursing care that Willow needs in the school to allow you go off?
5: So in the classroom, there's Willow's teacher, um, Miss Smith, and then there's two SNAs, Orla and Sandra. All fantastic and really amazing with the kids. But for Willow's needs, she needs that nursing support, so that extra level of care. Without that, she can't go to school. Um, you know, the, the the staff are trained to look after the children, but this, this you know, is another level again. You know, it's nursing support um, because Willow can become quick, very ill, very quickly. Um, And if she has seizures, she needs to have rescue meds. And again, you know, they wouldn't be trained up to do that either. And it's not fair to put that responsibility on the teacher either.
3: And obviously, you've had to train yourself up in all of this so that you can be fully aware of it.
5: Well Willow had needed that care since the day we brought her home when she was four days old and we brought her home under palliative care and we were told that you know she probably wouldn't make it through the night. She turned seven on the first of December, so she defies everything, um, every single day. But it's been looking after her in on that level from day one. Um and it's just it's our norm, you know. You know, we are just used to it. Um, but every day every is precious. Day.
3: Every day is precious. Absolutely every when she's day. Been and that. every
5: day it is, is, you know, it's it's life or death situation really with Willow you know if you don't care for her needs efficiently she will not survive and you know that, that's, that's where we're at so she has to have that nurse support in school so that situation doesn't arise and put other people in a vulnerable position too
3: Tell us about um, how far you have got with the HSE or what sort of position you're in. We asked for comment from them and obviously they don't comment in individual cases. They just say they make every effort to resolve any concerns raised. So we're not kind of any clearer from that. But but what's your experience of looking for the support you need so that you can have a life yourself, Tracy?
5: So um, a new scheme was rolled out by the NCSE, which is the National Council of Special Education, that nursing support would be provided in school for children that need it. Um, and they had a criteria set. Now, I, I must point this out. I'm not doing this just for Willow. I don't want her to just you know, be one example. I want this across the board for every child now looking for a school place or, or any child that will follow. So they have a criteria set and the criteria is that you have 20 hours of primary nursing care at home the problem with that is we cannot get those hours and we're still waiting for a resolution from the hsc for that so by being penalized by one hand you're being penalized by the other so the criteria the the ncse set out is that there's 20 hours nursing care at home so within that willow doesn't meet the criteria they're not looking at the needs of the child They're not, you know, providing all the support for her to go to school. They're looking at what you're getting at home. And most parents are struggling to get any support at home. So So just so I'm clear,
3: Tracy, so you're getting no nursing support at home either?
5: We get eight hours primary care. And um, Minister Roberts was very helpful last year and she secured us an extra 12 hours. But that was through disability. So primary care and disability are treated separately. So because it's not a full 20 hours under primary care, we're being penalised for her to get support in school. Now, you know, my push on this is it shouldn't be based on the criteria of what you have at home. It should be based on the, the needs of the child going to school. And that should be the primary focus, that each child is assessed As an individual and their needs assessed as an individual, not everything else that rolls behind us. It's it's an education placement and the the supports need to be based on what she needs in her education placement.
3: Listening to you, it sounds like a minefield and, and you're trying to do your best for yourself and your family, but you're now trying to be a voice for others as well.
5: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm sitting in the storeroom of Will's Classroom every single day. Um, We spent Sunday and Monday um, in Temple Street and we left at half-five yesterday morning. So I've had no sleep for two days, yet I'm I'm going into the classroom with her today and I'm sitting in the storeroom. There's no time for anything else, really. I love spending time with my children. I love doing whatever I have to do to get them their best opportunities in life. Um, I'm well able to speak. I'm well able to, you know, keep going. But there's other families that aren't. And those families don't have the fight in them or the voice, and they're just left on the shelf, you know. So because I'm able to speak and because I want to make a change, I will do it, and I'll do it for everybody else that follows suit, because every single child deserves the right to an education. And that's the one thing that's forgotten when your child has additional needs or disability. Their childhood, you know, they're not seen as a child. They're seen as, you know, complex needs or whatever, you know, additional needs they might have, they're forgetting first that they're a child. So they should have the right of every single child and a pathway to education and the support put in place to ensure that they get that.
3: And from what you're saying, they're not considering the child if they're not considering education as a separate need to, as you say, the home, because education is a fundamental right for every child.
5: For absolutely every child born in Ireland, they should just have the pathway to education. It all should be set in place from the get-go, and we shouldn't have to have this um, argument or fight behind us.
3: And what else can you do now? I mean, how do you keep looking for the supports you're looking for or how do you affect change in terms of when you're hitting a brick wall and they're saying, this is the rules, this is the situation? The, the, well, the, the they are situation.
5: supposedly working on the criteria. I have been engaging with the NCSE over the summer. Um, Minister uh, Helen McEntee have met with her, Minister Josefa Madigan, Minister Rabbit, um, Damien English, they're all behind this. They're all working To get this resolved and be honest with you they're all flummoxed at this stage that it just hasn't been resolved. Um, So the NCSE have been working on this for months to change the criteria. As far as I'm concerned it's black and white. This is a criteria. Let's scrap that and look at the needs of the child. There shouldn't be months and months and months. I I don't understand why it's taken so long Um, and what their fear is. It's pretty simple. Willow needs support to go to school. There are other children that need support to, to go to school. Put it in place.
3: Well I'm just picturing you sitting in a storeroom and I hope Tracy, it is it is comfortable <laughs> and I hope you take pleasure from seeing that light on your daughter's face every day she goes into school and it's a yeah, tough well, one. Yeah you know
5: it's worth everything even though I'm sitting on a junior infant's chair and desk I know. <laughs> I'm going back to school myself in one way. Well all um, I can say, say to you it's, is, it's worth is
3: it. keep on trucking you're doing a great job Tracy, and thank you so much for talking to us today on The Late Lunch and we'll take a break. Good afternoon, Peter. You're just in from the farm where you were chasing around after loads of snails. How are you?
6: I'm not too bad. How are you, Ola?
3: I'm good. I'm good. Peter, I understand the high quality of protein in snails. I gather they're very good for us. And obviously, people in France love them and they lather them in garlic. But putting it in cosmetics, is that a step too far for the Irish market?
6: Um I don't believe so. Uh a lot of people are only really coming across this in Ireland um over the last couple of years but this is this is quite a big thing um in Greece um Korea device Singapore. um it, it actually dates back as far as um ancient Greeks who actually would have applied it to reduce skin inflammation and obviously for um to reduce signs of age also but it's been around quite a while um quite surprised with the amount of uh, people, I suppose since we opened our website um, to sales of our um, cosmetics, we're actually very, very surprised in the amount of people that already know how beneficial um, the snail mucus and the snail creams are. So uh, um, I believe you're going to see it kicking off uh, more and more um, over the next couple of years.
3: Tell me how you got into producing snails in the first instance and then we'll talk again about the cosmetics.
6: Yeah, look, it it goes it goes back as far as probably since I was twelve or thirteen years of age. I've always wanted to walk off the farm, but uh, we we have quite a small holding there, and uh, we've only ever had about maybe twenty sucklers. Um, it, you know, it's it, it's pretty obvious with twenty sucklers, or even maybe double that, forty suckers. I don't think there's a full time living there for for any farmer, not just myself. Um, looked at a lot of different things, Orla, uh, and. Um, Snail farming was the last thing I, I, I looked at in about the 2012, 11, 2012. And since then, it's just been, honestly, um, I bought my first batch of snails in 2015, and since then it's been, uh, I won't say it's been all sale because it, it hasn't. Um, my first couple of years went fantastic, but, um, you know... I, I'm so passionate about this. I've done, I've done so much research um, into snail farming in regards to The byproducts, uh, caviar, uh, snail cream, snail meat, all those different things. Um, well, it's
3: brilliant diversification. That's all I can say. And to identify yeah. something like that, as you say, that is in huge demand in Europe. I mean, we we have issues here, but there's a huge demand in Europe. And in actual fact, snails are no different to mussels really. And we're very happy to eat mussels. There's a very similar texture to a snail, isn't there?
6: There is, in regards to nutritional benefits, no comparisons. Um, I would, and I have been over the last couple of years, been been um, saying, and I would stand by it. I believe snail and meat is probably one of the the healthiest foods in the world, if not the healthiest food. Like you're 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 talking about getting between say twelve and twelve point nine grams of protein from from a snail, um very little calories. It's actually in some cases people will actually say it helps lower cholesterol but if you look at our boiled egg which is probably five or six times larger than um a snail you're getting only 13 grams of protein which which, which the egg will be also packed um of of calories uh, cholesterol so you know uh, i know And you're supplying that, you're mar-
3: supplying um chef richard carrigan and he's actually named an omelet after you apparently
6: yeah um yeah, he did. It was it was actually quite surprising. I, you know, he did give us the heads up that he was he was gonna do it, but uh I didn't actually think he'd take the full plunge and do it. So uh yeah, that was fantastic. Richard has been absolutely brilliant, um, to ourselves and and you know, a small business like ourselves, um, you know, selling snails to someone like Richard, um, with the restaurant chains he has is uh, it's, it's brilliant it's, it's, it's brilliant yeah, yeah. Is, it's, it's, it's
3: great. and how often would you eat snails yourself Peter like how often would you kind of put them on a menu in, in a regular way
6: uh, in my own house yeah often enough um, I'm not training at the moment so I'm probably only eating them once or twice a month but if I was in full time training now it's just it's hard um, I quit football a couple of years ago and uh I'm not probably doing as much um running and stuff as as I, I would have had but if I was training we would say I would probably eat them twice, three times a week. Because you'd be looking day. for the
3: high protein,
6: yeah. The high protein, exactly. yeah.
3: And obviously people very often flavour them with garlic and they're, they're they're delicious. I've had them in France and I actually thought they were quite nice. I've never eaten them in Ireland. I haven't seen them on a menu in Ireland. Obviously that's something that ha- that has to come. Um, but it's interesting as you say it, it's such an international or such a European taste but we're doing so much more of that in Ireland in so many ways because we're travelling so much more and we're I think we're we're more open to experiences aren't we
6: exactly I look at probably we have them in four or five different restaurants currently um i I would I would hope to see more and more snail farms maybe starting up in Ireland um, at that point i I believe if we can get snails more and more on the menu, in Ireland. It'll just open people's minds up to snails. And tell
3: me then about the beauty products. I mean obviously the idea of snail slime or indeed snail poo going into a a beauty product. You know what what does it do? You said it's anti has anti-ageing properties?
6: It has anti-ageing properties look at me being uh, 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 a man a farming man it's the anti-ageing now for me, yeah, it's fantastic for some people, but what really, really um, what I feel is, is so beneficial in our product is that there's um, anti-inflammatories um, and antioxidants in the snail slime naturally. Um, the snail slime is for the proteins, enzymes, uronic acid, uh, zinc, and much, much more. What I love about them is the anti-inflammatory benefits. Um, I have seen um, uh, the you know snail mucus products uh, cosmetics heal some very very uh, harsh skin conditions Um, so that's what I what I primarily would would like about the products
3: and you mentioned there Peter uh, hyaluronic acid and I hope I said that correctly I pronounced it correctly hyaluronic acid that's obviously in a lot of cosmetic products nowadays it's one of those magical sort of ingredients and you're saying it's naturally created in the snail snail mucus we
6: we get that from the snail mucus directly from the snail mucus if you look at ourselves we're, we're everyone's age and every day we're getting older and older our bodies don't produce as much of this acid, acid naturally but that's why we're, we're, look at, we look we have to put it into our beauty products and maybe get it back into our body um, to I suppose stretch our skin and stop those wrinkles from happening so that's primarily what the hy- hyaluronic acid is for
3: It's funny um, a, a number of years back I, I was at a conference in Asia I was over at that side of the world and I noticed Every billboard practically had a picture of a woman and this symbol of a snail. And there was obviously these products that they were selling. But I think it was very much being marketed in that culture as a whitening, a skin whitening uh, product.
6: See, there are different species of snails that you wouldn't get that um, th- those benefits from. My helix is Portia Muller, which is the Irish Brown Garden snail. We're using them, we're using the slime primarily for anti aging and anti inflammatory purposes. So, uh, anti wrinkling cream and anti aging cream.
3: And one Um, of the things I I noticed uh, you do um, is that it's in, in the information we got from you, Peter, is that you actually purge the snails to completely cleanse them, and their diets are particularly controlled. So, the idea is there that there's nothing bad going into the snail in the first instance. So, obviously, nothing bad coming out.
6: For me, I look, I worked in the food industry, um, probably for 15, 16 years. Um, the traceability would be a huge part of, um, my daily routines on a snail farm. My snails are completely controlled. There's nothing can get into my paddocks outside. Nothing can get into my poly tunnels. Uh, nothing can get into my breeding rooms inside. Okay. Um, my snails would be eating a balanced diet of, uh, like a persica, like a cabbage and they would also be eating an organic feed uh, along with that. So I look at if you were to buy a dozen snails off me or Richard Corrigan was to buy a dozen snails off me, I have full traceability on those snails. I feel moving forward that's very, very important for the Irish uh, snail farming industry.
3: Well, I have to say, uh, Peter, I just tried uh, one of the creams there here. I was rubbing it on my hands as we were speaking and it has a beautiful lavender scent and my hands feel lovely. Whether it'll anti-age them now or not is another question. But it actually feels very nice. It's a nice product and, and, and nicely scented. Where is the product? Uh, where are the products available if anybody is curious and would like to try them?
6: The products are available on our website um, currently in at jiscargo.ie.com. Um, you'll see seven different products our day cream, our eye cream, our 24 hour cream, our night cream, um, our soap, and our serum uh, all available there
3: 24 um, 7. So that's ie, and that's Peter Monahan. Thank you so much for joining us today, Peter. You can go off now, back out, and check on your snails. I gather they ramble around quite freely, so you have to keep a close eye on them. <laughs> Thank you very much. Anna. Thanks Thank very you. much for joining us have today. Thank you indeed. We'll take a break. Now, my next guest has had what you might describe as a portfolio career, a bit like myself, bit of this, bit of that, bit of the other. I think she might have been a nurse in a previous life. We'll find out in a moment. She's a very well known interior designer and in recent times has gone into mindset and confidence and motivational public speaking and organising events, for, particularly for women of a certain age. And she calls it Finding Your Fabulous. And you're very welcome to the programme, Anne Toohey.
7: Well, thank you so much, Orla. It is my pleasure and my privilege to be here.
3: (laughs) Lovely to talk to you. What I didn't say also, Anne, is that you're a bit of a dynamo. You're one of those women I gather from the little I know about you who gets an awful lot done. Oh, you know
7: something? I actually think in recent years I probably have ADHD and that is probably my superpower because, yes, I can have laser sharp focus when I need to and other times not at all.
3: Tell me about your interior design, first of all, because that's probably what you're most well-known for.
7: It is. And I mean, I took a sort of circuitous route because, yes, I was a nurse, a theatre nurse. And then we got, we came back from Bermuda. I bought an old house in Dublin. Fox Rock had no money to do anything with it. And I literally, that was my project. And um, I remember when it was being sold It was been sold by auction and the Irish Times actually featured it on the cover and I thought, my goodness, I can do this. (laughs) This is something I'm good at. So I studied interior design professionally and but never had a client, never had a brief, never had anything except our own home. So we went on to build our dream home in Donegal when we moved there. And then I got a phone call one morning and this researcher from RTE said, we're doing a show called Show House. Would you like to take part? And I spat out my coffee and thought, right. Uh, and we talked and to get rid of him, I said, why don't you send me on all the details and I'll have a look. And the minute I read it, I thought, you know what, I can do this. So I they talked to 760 people and picked 16 and somehow they picked me and then the crazy thing was Shane Filing from Westlife actually owned the house. So the publicity was crazy. Um, but I won it. I actually was pitched against a really, really well-established interior designer called Leo Dale in Galway. A lovely girl. And, I, and yet I won. I won quite strongly. And so isn't that amazing that you, a were such a,
3: you were such a recent entrant to the profession as such and yet you won a very public and high-profile competition? That's a lovely story.
7: It's how I started. I mean, I didn't have one client prior to that, not even one. Uh, but I did have, I remember one of my boys said to me, Mum, could you have done that show without doing your qualification? And I remember my answer to Richard and I said, you know what? I know I could have. But
3: they wouldn't have asked me. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And that's yeah. an interesting um, line. And it leads us on to where you want to talk to me about this whole confidence and motivation thing you do with women, because I think a lot of us suffer from imposter syndrome. And I think you probably had to do your study in order that you could say, yes, I am a designer.
7: Correct, absolutely, uh, and I think I mean I know I know from hard experience. I mean I sailed through life I think until I got to fiftyish, and then everything suddenly fell apart. And the sad thing is I didn't tell any of my closest friends. Um, on the out on the outside, you know, I looked the same, drove the same car, lived in the same house, had the same husband. But inside, my confidence had taken a battering. Um, I don't know. My mother had died and I think menopause and perimenopause happened and I thought I sailed through. I now know that I did not. Uh, the boys were growing up and leaving home, didn't need their mum anymore. And I, I just, I was overwhelmed, to be honest, absolutely overwhelmed. Knew I wasn't clinically depressed. The nurse and me knew that, but I knew that I was not in a
3: happy place. And do you think that impacts that same sort of feeling on a lot of women in that particular age group?
7: I don't think it, I know it. Because I'm talking to them almost every day. And now, um, I think we're being more honest. Uh, I mean, the day that I have coming up in Dublin, I actually did, Noel Cunningham talked, lovely Noel, talked me into having a Finding Your Fabulous Day in Harveys Point in Donegal in February, which I did. And I mean, I get goosebumps thinking back to that day because I think it was a day that nobody had ever experienced before. Women came with their mothers, their sisters, their friends, loads of women came on their own from all over the country, but I said to them, I warned them, I said, if you open your eyes or your heart and your mind to what you're going to hear today, and it wasn't just me, it took a village, we had the most amazing speakers, um, Anna Daly was our MC, it was a fantastic day, but the power in that room, the... Um, the sort of, how would I say, the transmitting of belief that you can be whatever you want. I'm 63 and I literally am living my very manifested, the most gorgeous um, villa in Spain, which took me about a year to do, but that's where I am at the minute um, and I am truthfully Living my best life, and what, what the exactly? Day, the older I get. Yeah. yeah,
3: absolutely, Anne. Sorry, <laughs> what exactly <laughs> happens <laughs> what? at a, a finding your fabulous day? So it, it's like a conference that women go along to, no, and, it's, and it's what did they hear? A, it's not a
7: conference. It's definitely not a conference.
3: Okay. It's um,
7: yes, I have speakers. I mean, you're amazing, Barbara Scully. I think is taking your chair next week. Barbara is doing a talk on what of the best is yet to come because I do believe, like for women in their thirties and forties or even fifties, listening, you know. Things are going to get better, not worse. But you need to change your mindset. You need to... Somebody said to me actually quite recently that, and I love this, it said women in their 50s and 60s now are like the teenagers of the 1960s. We're sort of redefining how we are, how we act, how we behave, what we can do, what our energy is. Like I think back to my granny, or that, and at 63, she was an old lady who wore black clothes and had her grey hair and a tight little bun. And I think the older I get, the bolder I get, and the shorter my skirts get. And I <laughs> That's the teenager. I have never had before.
3: No, it's very interesting. And as we know, the demographic is ageing very dramatically. There's something like, you know, whatever percentage there is, I think it's 11 percent of the population was over 65 in 2011. And that is going to increase to something like 22 percent. So that is like one in five people is going to be over the age of of, of 65 by 2031. That's only down the road. The ageing population is growing enormously and we're healthier and we're happier for longer, So you're right, 63, 20, 30 years ago is a completely different thing to how it is today. But do you think society is, is, is more age towards women and that's why they're having these crises of confidence?
7: Oh, I do. I absolutely do. I mean, whether you're in a boardroom or whether you're working in a hospital, whether you're, no matter what you're doing, male colleagues are treated so differently um, to females. Nobody asks, um, you know, nobody comments on how many children a man has. Um, people don't expect a woman to have surgical intervention, or a man I should say, to have surgical intervention to try and look younger. Uh, there's definitely ageism for sure. Uh, in fact, I know. I I know in my heart. I actually applied before we came to Spain. I applied to present a show, TV show, and I was given a gracious answer. But I know in my heart and soul they mightn't have realised the age I was when they watched my interview. But when they saw the paperwork and they did the maths, I was too old. I know that, um, and that, that's the that's, reality. Yeah, and we it's, have to fight that. We have to fight it yeah. tooth and nail. And I'm not talking about going to plastic surgeon. I'm talking about making the very best of what you have within you. And I mean, the speakers that I've picked for. The the day in Dublin Barbara Scully is going to lift everybody's spirits and make them feel amazing um, if you want to call the a stylist a personal stylist she's going to talk about how to make the very very best of yourself you know with no matter what wardrobe you have no matter what your lifestyle is there are ways in fact she said to me yesterday um, I was telling the story about the short how I started wearing shorts skirts or dresses because I realised my legs are actually quite good and didn't realise that for 50 years. And she said, you know why you feel better? Because your best, the best part of you is on display. I thought that's an interesting way of putting it So there's a science behind it. Um, or maybe is it that you have in, the
3: confidence at this hour of your life to wear the clothes you want to wear rather than allowing society or some predetermined notions tell you what you should wear?
7: It possibly is because one of the things that I I didn't tell you, but when I was in that slump, I realized I needed to do something. So I started, and I'm a bit of a lifelong learner, I started studying mindset and confidence and motivation and adopted practices on a daily basis that I still do to this day that definitely got me from the place that I was in to a place where I almost believe I can do anything if I put my mind to it.
3: And is health and well-being also going to be part of this day in that fitness and activity and exercise and diet is a huge part of, of ageing well too, isn't it?
7: It is actually. Interestingly enough, in my last day in Harry's Point, Uno O'Hagan from Mars Pharmacy spoke to us about gut health, and which is a fascinating subject. I don't actually have a health or fitness expert talking to us on in in uh, in October, but uh, but of course it is a big part of it. It absolutely is, um, uh, you know. And I think we're learning more and more about how to look after ourselves. And in fact, the gut health is something that I absolutely believe. Your gut impacts. Your brain, it impacts everything. Your nervous system, it it impacts your mental health. Everything. Um, So I would certainly practice very good gut health. I try to be careful on my diet. I try to exercise. try to do weight-bearing exercise. Um, And I think we're all doing this. In fact, I have a lady in my boot camp who, she's in her 70s, and she is doing... um, weight training every morning and she has reversed her osteoporosis medication by virtue of doing that.
3: Good. Well, following the success of your your project in the uh, Harvey's Point a number of months back, so you're having another one of these days now, the uh, Finding Yourself Day. And tell us a little bit about that and how do people find out about going to it? Finding Your Fabulous at Any Age. And is it for women only?
7: Well, yeah, you know what it is for women. Well, Honestly, I probably get into trouble for saying that. Um, I joked in Harvey's point that it was all of us women and no Cunningham. <laughs> we all loved a bit, but uh, but it you is, have, it to have to offer a safe space a as space. well,
3: don't you? So maybe if it's a women-only yeah. day, it's it's something. It's to kind of encourage that, isn't it? And to encourage free sharing and speaking and all of that.
7: That's actually a very good point that I hadn't thought about because I remember one girl from Dublin who came with her mum who's was coming back actually to the event in Dublin and she said that she had never, she's probably in her 30s, had never witnessed... The honesty, the empathy, mm-hmm. the the motivation, the everything that she felt in that room. I only wished it had that day fully recorded. I didn't. Um, it was just one of those days that I think a lot of people have said to me, not just me, seeing this that it was life changing for them.
3: Okay, so what does the day cost, and where is it, and how do people book in okay, for it if they wish to? It's, it's in it's in the Slorgan
7: Talbot I was going to say Slorgan Park which is what I used to know it as Talbot Slorgan which is I picked there simply because it's, got, it's very easy to get to it's got huge, loads and loads of parking and I like their reception and um, it costs 130 euro and for that there's this coffee breaks all day long, there's lunch, there's um, all of the speakers and all that wisdom and learning, and I will be doing some teaching there on the day as well. Um, uh, There's also a a fabulous goodie bag, which the the value of that will surpass the price of the ticket, and and I've also got loads of free spot prizes, so once you come in, you get a ticket. So in Donegal, loads of people went home with amazing gifts as well as a goodie bag, so it's just really good day, Um, fun as well, lots of honesty, maybe a few tears, Um, great stories to tell. Um, The other speakers I have, Caroline Horgan, who set up a her family company is um, Scatterbox and she has an amazing story she comes from a strong mum and a strong daughter so she's going to be talking about raising strong women Alison Banton who founded Broken Shoals is going to be there talking about self-belief because she took on the Joe Malones and everybody else and has succeeded Sounds absolutely wonderful Anne Yeah
3: it sounds absolutely great. And the kind of day that um, any woman or group of women, if they happen to have that day off and they have the few bob, it could be a great investment in themselves. I think so. For, for, for Particularly
7: getting into the winter now, I think, and for life, this is a lifetime, it's a lifetime learning and a lifetime skill. And people will find me, Rim Junkie Anne, on Instagram and on Facebook.
3: Well, Anne, you're an absolute dynamo, as I said, and well done in putting this together. And I hope it goes extremely well for you. And I hope a lot of women go there and find a lot of inspiration and confidence for the winter ahead. Sounds like a great old day out if you can manage it at all. Well done, Anne. And thank you for joining us on The Late Lunch today. Thank you. We're back after this. I'm actually um, chuckling here to myself. Excuse me, I'm a little bit distracted. But I've had a message in here saying, Orla, slap on the wrist for apologising to the gentleman that three women won the tickets today and yesterday. Men have been winning tickets for long enough. So thank you for that. And that comes from Helena. Great comment there. Also, a nice comment from MP Matthews. And he says, there's boxes you can buy in the post office, which I think the price is €9 and you fill them. And it's not a small box. You'll get plenty into it. I do know the boxes. You mean the pre-packed sort of boxes? Um, uh, whoever that is. Thank you for your comment. But I don't think they go internationally. I think they're for Ireland only. I think if you bought one of those boxes, you'd have to actually add the cost of the international post onto it as well. But again, somebody can correct me if I'm wrong there. But I believe those boxes are only for Ireland. Now, Rory's story is very familiar to many of you in terms of fun and and interesting material that we read online. Um, but when I think of... Um, a comedian and mental health, you sort of also always think of the clown with the face on and the smiling face, but inside struggling a little, maybe. And I think that might be your own story, Rory O'Connor, and you're very welcome to The Late Lunch.
8: Hey, you all, How you getting on?
3: <clears throat> I'm good. good. I'm good. I'm good. You've made mental health very much a part of your comedy, haven't you?
8: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I... Um I suppose, like, it's part of my own story. Um, i done a memoir a few years ago and kind of told my own story about my own kind of ups and downs, and, and, and you know, uh, yeah, I, was, I suppose, comfortable to share. Like, obviously, it's a difficult thing to share, but I suppose the importance of, of more people being honest about how they feel uh, upstairs is, is, is important. So yeah, I suppose it's been a big part of Rory Story's journey, um, as well as obviously the coming that the, the well-being and mental health is probably. I suppose it's nearly 50-50 at this day. Certainly, like a lot of the work I do, exactly is along the well-being lines now as well. So it's um, yeah, it's, it's it's a mixed bag overall, really.
3: And tell me Rory um, sort of what what do you do now in a daily basis in order to manage and control your own mental health you've been very free with saying you've had those struggles um, and what do you do yourself So, of so what kind of practices would you do and would you recommend to people to actually mind their mental health
8: um, Well for me anyway exercise is certainly um, my, my number one go to um, try and get something done every day like it doesn't have to be climbing mountains or swimming lakes or anything crazy like that's obviously a bit of crack as well. But like I think just moving the body is is very important. Uh, and again that's just personally speaking and I suppose accepting good and bad days as well, that's it's it's a part of life like and, and some people um I suppose the biggest problem is letting on you're a hundred percent all the time when you're not like you know, I think that's that's crucial as well. But certainly for me, um like exercise is, is definitely number one and just talking about it not letting on your 100% when you're not like just kind of yeah, honesty and self-awareness is definitely certainly up there as well.
3: And obviously then you know, putting I suppose maybe would you suggest routines into your life or you know, checking in with other people is that the kind of thing you'd advocate?
8: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so like as you said um you know checking in with others but it's that it, one of the main questions that comes up an awful lot when i would do talks is like how do you see signs uh for other people but i suppose that's the million dollar question like you know it's the sad thing about kind of suicide and depression is it's the people you least suspect like so it's very difficult to to figure out you know what's going on in someone's brain and that's why i suppose you need them to kind of be honest uh with you themselves and say listen i'm actually not um I'm not where I need to be and obviously COVID was a difficult time for a lot of people and as you go back to routine, that's certainly one thing personally anyway that, that I took from that was how important routine can be for keeping your your, your good mental health and, and having a purpose as well, you know, having something to strive towards um, definitely is another big one for me anyway.
3: Do you know something I noticed myself, Rory, and you'll tell me, are you seeing the same? But you hear young people and young men particularly saying things to each other like, how's your mental health? And like, I would never have imagined that happening. But isn't it brilliant to see that the way, you know, literally young men will say to their pals, how's your mental health? That's it's gone into our language as such.
8: Yeah, yeah. It has to be a positive, like, you know, um, it's it's as you said like 20-30 years ago there was you know it was just to, to kick up the the backside is what you were told but at least now people are able to be open and honest about it like, um, like I suppose there's a thin line between that and then understanding that life is hard as well and, and there's stuff that will be difficult you know what I mean that we all have to kind of that's how you build resilience is kind of putting yourself out of your comfort zone doing stuff that kind of uh I suppose scares you really is the best way to do it. That's how you kind of learn. Like people are nearly sometimes afraid to fail, but, the, but that could be okay. But it's, it's if things are getting really on top of you, especially young people with obviously social media or exams or peer pressure from friends, like uh, being able to openly uh, talk to your parents or talk to a teacher or, or a mentor in sport or a friend is, is really vital. So, it is, so people are aware of what's actually going on with you.
3: Well speaking of feeling the fear and doing it anyway um, standing up in front of a room full of people as a stand-up comic must be one of the most scary things in the world. How did you get started on it?
8: Yeah I suppose like it's 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 um yeah it's like anything like it, it, of course it is terrifying and, and I suppose again it's just, it's just trusting yourself and understanding that they're not all going to be good days, you're going to have your bad days as well so uh, I started off the videos back like maybe ten years ago now, and that led me on to doing comedy in the GA clubs, and then I, I, uh, I, I, I'm on to doing my own kind of uh, tours now in various uh, theatres. that. I'm actually in Rathau Venue while I'm on now. Rathau Venue in two weeks' time, I'm doing two nights uh, there to finish off my tour that would have been 2022 and 2023 tours. So I'm doing two nights in the Rotow venue even with Aurora Stories and that's going to uh, that's a fundraiser for uh, the local charity which is ASAP which is the suicide awareness charity that was set up in Ashburn about five or six years ago to prevent you know and raise awareness to suicide in the Ashburn Rotow That's that absolutely fantastic to hear about
3: that two more shows in two weeks time and then the one tonight
8: Yeah so tonight then is part of the Feel Good project that we've been doing Uh so um, it was Sharon Kogan like he's kind of uh, running that so we're I think this is about a f- maybe fifth or sixth one part of the projects we've done different parts of the country so we're in Dundalk tonight so it's um, it's a free event come along and I share my story and hopefully people can take something from the conversation and and it relates to all ages like that's the beauty of it Well it that's absolutely brilliant
3: know. to hear about Rory thank you for joining us today so that event is on tonight at half past seven and you heard Rory saying it's free it's in the Creative Spark downtown hub in Clanbrassel Street in Dundalk suitable for all ages Rory's stories let's talk mental health and that's where we have to leave it today on The Late Lunch it's been my pleasure to be with you and thank you for your company back this time again tomorrow all going well thanks to Louise Walsh
2: my producer and you have